Hey guys, welcome back to the Far Better Podcast. I am your host, Michael Clark, and today we're going to continue our road trip together as we discuss another road sign on our spiritual journey with Christ. Today's road sign is the HOV lane. You might know it as the carpool lane. Now, in my state of Tennessee, since 1993, we've used a high-occupancy vehicle lane as a tool to promote ride-sharing to reduce congestion on urban interstates. The central concept for HOV lanes is to move more people rather than more cars, and there are some qualifications that are needed to be met. Each vehicle that travels in an HOV lane must carry the minimum number of people posted on the entrance signs. In Tennessee, that means at least two people, and exceptions include motorcycles and hybrid vehicles. The effectiveness of this is that public awareness and enforcement are key in maintaining the effectiveness of HOV lanes. Tennessee law provides a fine not to exceed $50, plus court costs, for violation of HOV lane requirements. These are also met with operational hours. For example, Monday through Friday, inbound traffic can utilize these lanes from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m., and outbound traffic may use them from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. The benefits of an HOV lane is that you can move more people in fewer vehicles, reducing the demand for new highways, and it also increases the efficiency of existing highways. HOV lanes increase the opportunity for us to reduce the use of personal resources, such as time and fuel, and they benefit drivers of single-occupant vehicles by taking carpoolers out of general-use lanes. I want us today, as you might be thinking, what does that have to do with our spiritual walk? Just because you can go to the you know Tennessee.gov and be able to read those things, that doesn't mean anything for me. But I want us to look at how we can carpool together as children of God. Today's episode is entitled, Having a Passenger is Better. Look, if we were to go back to the Old Testament, I could tell you right off the bat that God said it was better. He said it was better for mankind to have a mate. In Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 15, the Bible says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, verse 16, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Verse 18, it says that the Lord God stated, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, verse 19, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. I find it interesting as we start this idea of God saying it was better, that when he recognizes that Adam needs a helper, he doesn't immediately tell Adam, here's the problem. You want to know, here it is. Here's what you're missing. He doesn't do that. He instead, despite what most of us may jump past, a lot of times what I mean by that is when we talk about the sermon of Adam and Eve being made and being brought together as husband and wife, we often skip over when God says Adam is alone and that's not good for man to be alone. We often jump right to Adam being put to sleep, Eve being formed out of the rib, and being brought to Adam. But that's not what God does immediately. And we can't say that what God asked Moses to record through the inspired pen was unnecessary. 
And so when I read verse 19, I find it incredible that instead of telling Adam what the problem was, he allowed Adam to realize it for himself. All these animals are being brought forth, and Adam is calling each living creature what its name is going to be. And in verse 20, he's giving names to cattle, birds of the air, beasts of the field. But he looks around and he notices, you know, every bird has a mate. Every cattle that I find, every cow and every piece of cattle has a helper, a, a something comparable to them. And the beasts of the field, there are mates for them, but I, I don't see anybody that's comparable to me. I don't see somebody like me. Friends, this is a good verse to point out the foolishness of those who would seek to be in a relationship with wild animals. In Genesis 2 and verse 20, Adam didn't look at any beast of the field and say, I, I guess that's what I'm supposed to do. He noticed the way that the design had taken place, there were things that the Bible says were comparable. And he had no comparable helper. And after that realization, then, verse 21 says, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs while he was sleeping, closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, verse 22, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And when Adam sees Eve walking down that proverbial aisle, if you will, he doesn't sit there and say, God, this isn't what I wanted. God, you didn't bring me what I wanted. He knew she was comparable and a helper for him. He states, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. God knew in the very beginning when he looked at Adam that he needed a helper. He says it's not good that man doesn't have a passenger. Marriage makes life better. But in the second place, it's not just marriage that we need to focus on because there are plenty of people who go through life and never get married. I want you to notice what God would have to say to those that choose to live a life in that way or maybe they just never find somebody. He also says that friendship makes man sharper. Proverbs 27 and verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. I've talked about him before. I've had him on the program before. But Wayne Rogers and I, with the work that we do together on the Gospel Broadcasting Network in the program, What Would You Do If? Both of us sharpen the other, I feel. I know I am sharpened by the conversations I have with him, and I hope that I can do some sharpening for him but I can't tell you how many times he and I will chat on the phone and we'll say, what about this? What about that? What do you think? And we're able to sharpen each other, spiritually speaking. In fact, I can talk about all the people on the network too. Caleb and I will talk about Bible doctrinal matters and Jameson and I talk almost every day. We talk all the time about things and we pose questions and we're trying to sharpen each other to make sure that we're on the right path. But iron sharpening iron, a man sharpens the countenance of his friend, the face of his friend. A man helps others by being friendly. In fact, 
we're told that very simple simple truth in another chapter of the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs 18 and verse 24. A man who has friends must show himself friendly. He has to show himself to be friendly. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know, Elijah, if you think about another Old Testament example, was given a companion, a friend, at his lowest. In 1 Kings 18, you and I read a wonderful account of a prophet of God standing in the midst of prophets of deception, prophets of Baal. And he asks for a competition, and in the process of this competition, he proves the absolute fact that there is a God in heaven, that he does exist, and that it's not Baal. And in the process of all of that, those prophets were put to death. And Elijah comes down from Mount Carmel, and you would think he is on top of the world. If you were to close your Bible there, you would believe that. But in 1 Kings 19, I'm told in the first four verses that Elijah discovers a plan that has been laid for him by Jezebel, who wants to kill him for what he's done. And so he says, essentially, for God to take his life. God, just kill me. It would be better that I die than to continue to live in fear. And in verses 5 through 8, God doesn't do what he requested, but instead he did what was needed for the physical needs of Elijah right there. He sent an angel to strengthen and comfort him and to tell him to rise and eat and drink and take a rest even. The journey's too great for you right now. And don't you know that there are times where you and I will sit there and say, I need to stop and take a moment before I continue on a rest area, if you will, on our journey. That's what God told him to do first. But then, after he had rested, when it was time to get back to work, he gave him a companion. In verse 19 of the same chapter, it says that Elijah departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the twelfth. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them, and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. God knows what we need. God knows that it's better to have a passenger. But it's not just God's words of what he records. We could find what others through wisdom have also pondered and come to the conclusion. The preacher said it was better. No, not just this preacher. I'm talking about Ecclesiastes preacher. In chapter 4, verses 9 and following, the preacher writes, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, verse 10, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. 
stop for a moment and think about this. And I know I'm not taking any shots at anybody here, I promise. But I remember growing up and hearing the commercials and seeing them on TV for the Life Alert, which is a wonderful piece of technology that allows somebody to, with a push of a button, call for help. But all of those commercials are the same. All of them are. They all start with somebody on the ground. And the statement made time and time again has been, help, I've fallen, and I can't get up. That's what the preacher says in verse 10. If they fall, if he has a companion, someone will lift him up. But woe to him who's alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, in verse 11, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? In verse 12, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. The preacher said it was better. The prophets said it was better to have a passenger. While we know the Israelites would be taken into captivity, there was a distinction made between the people. One group would be those who never returned to God. They died in the process of captivity or during captivity. They never would repent and turn back. The other group that's talked about in Isaiah's time, though, is called a remnant. In fact, in Isaiah 10 and verse 20 through 22, the Bible says, It shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as have escaped of the house of Jacob will never again depend on him, never again depend on him who defeated them, but will depend on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. The remnant will return, verse 21, the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God. For though your people, O Israel, be as the sand of the sea, a remnant of them will return. The destruction decreed shall overflow with righteousness. And this remnant did return. In Nehemiah 7 and verse 1, Nehemiah records, Then it was when the wall was built and I had hung the doors, when the gatekeepers, singers, and Levites had been appointed, I gave the charge of Jerusalem to my brother Hanani. And Hananiah, the leader of the citadel, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. And I said to them, Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they stand guard, let them shut and bar the doors and appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, one at his watch station and another in front of his own house. Now the city was large and spacious, verse 4, but the people in it were few, and the houses were not rebuilt. Unfortunately, not everybody made it back. A grand total of 42,360 people according to Nehemiah 6, 66 through 67, returned. And we know that this was a remnant, a small remaining quantity of something. And according to some commentators, there were originally upwards of 120,000 that would have been carried away. Just a little over one-third came back. Was it better for those who remained together in their rededication to the Lord? Uh, certainly, you and I can prove that it was better. We know that it was better. And had they not carpooled together in the right direction, they too would have been lost. Their banding together kept them from being separated from God for eternity. And today, we too have a remnant that will return to heaven's promised land, Matthew seven, thirteen and 14. That's the Old Testament, though. 
And the New Testament also has a lot to say about carpooling together. For example, in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and following, first century Christians showed having a passenger was better. Those five, six verses are all designed in verses 42 through 47 to showcase the unity that they had. But nothing better can showcase that than Acts 2, 44 and 45. All who believed were together. They had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Division defeats the point of the journey. Jesus would warn his disciples about divisions that they would face. He said in John 15, verses 18 and following, that if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. Verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. Paul warned the church, past and present, about the horrors of division. Sometime after the unity of the first century Christians, division crept in. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10, the Bible says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you're perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. The body is one, and teamwork, or carpooling, is necessary for it to function properly. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27 And we don't have time to read all of those. We're running low on time as it is. But notice the following verses, beginning in verse 14. For in fact, the body is not one member but many. And if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing... Where would be the smelling? And on and on we could go. If you look at verse 18 and following, he says, But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. In verse 19, he says, And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. Verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather... Those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Drop down to verse 26 and 27 to close this out. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you, verse 27, are the body of Christ and members individually. Christians naturally crave company together. They naturally crave company The church was stronger together. Luke gives us a written record of the church through the book of Acts and showcases their strength in doctrine. 
chapter 2, verse 42. Prayer, chapter 4, verses 23 and following. Fellowship, chapter 4, verses 33 and following. The authority of God through the miraculous, chapter 5, verse 12 and following. In their organized work of the Lord, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Hardship and persecution, Acts 7 and chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Coincidentally, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Their mission work, Acts 14, 22 through 27. Their correspondence, verse 15, 23 through 29. Their friendships, verse 32 through 38 of chapter 30, or chapter 20, I should say. And Acts 8, 4. Paul wrote about wanting people with him in Romans 15, verses 22, all the way down to verse 25. He wrote that he wanted to visit the brethren in Rome. He wanted to visit the brethren in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 through 20. And he wanted to be visited himself when his days drew near, 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 11. And finally, the apostle John rejoiced when he noticed children walking together in truth. Watch this and we'll bring it to a close. 2 John 1, verse 4 through 6. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we received commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This, verse 6, is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. Do you understand after these 21-some minutes that having a passenger is better? Having somebody to take the journey with you makes life just a little bit easier, makes life a little bit more worthwhile, and that we can make it. I thank you for tuning in this week, and Lord willing, next week we'll look at those who tried to go solo versus those with passengers. But until then, let's please God now so our eternity can be far better. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Scattered Abroad Network. We are grateful for your continued support as well as your continued prayers. If you would like to find out more about our network, please visit our website at scatteredabroad.org. We look forward to studying with you again soon. May God bless you.